God, Sting. Oh, my pecker. Woo! My pecker. My Daddy pecker. Daddy got a my little pecker, bit happier. Daddy got a little bit happier. That's so good. That's so good. You are listening to the Dude Nature Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Dude Nature Podcast. Okay, welcome back to the reactor. We're here with some more carnivorous plants. Smells rather nice today. Smells wonderful Smells in here. Smells rather nice in here today. Good to be here. Great to be here. Good to great. Good to great. Guys, we have- Stupid book. A stupid business book. Good to great. Don't ever read that book. Guys, we have one new five-star review. They did not leave a message, but we love and thank you thank just you. the same. These are the gripes where we gripe to each other for 30 seconds each about something mildly irritating. So Noah, what is your gripe today? My my gripe is fam- rich people that say that that have a ton of money that say that they have a ton of problems. Because honestly, when you if you think about it logic, I understand that they still have problems, but if you think about it logically, they've gotten rid of the money problem. So they definitely have less problems than other people because they don't have the money problem. Other other people have all the same problems except they also have to deal with money. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's bullshit and I hate it. I hate when they say that. Your gripe is rich people. My gripe is rich people that say like, oh, like we have a ton of problems, and it's like it's like, of course you, you still have problems, but you don't. Other have people, the, the <laughs> other people that don't have as much money as you, they they have even more problems than you, and they can't fix the other problems because they don't have the money. Like at the beginning of Rona, where all the celebrities got on the Zoom call and sang that song, and I, they sang a song, and like Will Ferrell was on there and Tom Hanks, and they released it. They're like, here, everything's gonna be okay. Look, it's just your favorite celebrity singing. And everyone's like, what the fuck am I? Like, my kid's going to yeah, start. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, yeah. So I hate, I hate, I hate when rich people say that. There you go. Okay. That's my gripe. I actually have a, I have a pleasantry. Oh, um, instead of a gripe. I've actually been listening to a lot of music. I made, I made a playlist of some old West Coast rap. That's specifically tight. Mac Dre. Specifically Fabby Davis. Fabby Davis Jr. Fabby Davis. And... Today I got up and I was just feeling like absolute dog shit. Sometimes I just wake up and I feel like shit. There's no reason. There's literally no reason behind it. And then I did my meditation, right? I'm like, okay. And I felt even worse, I think, after the meditation. Right, because you feel bad because the meditation didn't make you feel better. But then I listened to Mac Dre and I was like, oh my God, this is about this is about the struggle. And then I started to move a little bit and it's about and it's about absurdity. And it made me feel a lot better in the shower. Now I feel now I feel honestly what, feel better. What song would you and, give people to listen and to? And I've been doing I've been doing that a lot. I've listened to a lot more music these days. Give the people a song Especially to listen to. Hip-hop. Um listen to Cuddy's Say Ye, Mac Dre. That is a deep cut and it is unbelievable. So if you wake up in the morning and you feel like you need some listen to Cuddy Say Ye Cuddy by Say Mac, Ye Dre, Mac Dre. By Mac Mac D- fucking D R E R E. Noah. Yeah. It is time for the game. Let's do it. Name this movie. Give it to me. Okay. The actors are Sam Neill. Do you know Sam Neill? Sam fucking Neill. Yeah. Sam from fucking Dra- Neill. Jurassic fucking Jurassic from Park. Jurassic fucking Park. Lawrence Fishburne. Who okay. is that? Morpheus. Morpheus. Obviously. Sam Neill, Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne is the captain of a ship and Sam Neill is the doctor. Oh my God. Fuck. I, okay. So see if you can get it right there. No, I have more no, hints for you. No, I know. Uh, oh, oh. It's like hurting my. It's hurting young, my balls. Young, young Sam. Young, young, it's youngish. Young Sam and Neil. Youngish. And, and sorry, 
young Sam and Lawrence is the captain. Lawrence is definitely young-ish. Yeah. But he's the captain. Yeah, he's the captain. Fuck. I, I don't know what it okay, is, I'll but keep going. you say it. It follows a crew of astronauts in 2047 who are sent to rescue a ship that spontaneously appears around Neptune. Anything so far? This is dope. I want to watch this. It's so tight, this movie. I'll watch this tonight. I don't think you... Will you really? It's a great movie. Yeah, I'd fucking watch it. Okay. Um, guess what? Well, I don't want to give the whole thing away then if, you're, if you want to watch it. But guess what? The ship was a test bed for an experimental engine that opened up a space-time continuum. Oh. Well, when it left our it. universe. Okay. Returning with a hellish entity that possesses the ship. I mean, What's yeah. the name of the movie? Uh, Deep Space Nine. It's not Deep Space Nine. It's Event Horizon. Fuck is the name of the I, movie. I knew it. It is a famous science fiction horror movie. It is awesome. Wait, I want to. I want to watch it really bad. So cool. It is. It's also terrifying, but it's great. That sounds dope. Um. Okay. So the same director, Paul. I think it's like Paul S. W. Anderson. He directed the Resident Evil movies, and he's coming out with a Monster Hunter video game adaptation in two days. Which also, you'll love this, has Tony Jaa in it. Is the main character. What? Yeah, Tony Jaa of Ambok. Ambok. Tony, Tony Jaa, the fighter? Tony Jaa of the flying knee. The, the flying knee and the flying that elbow. That sounds crazy sick. If I played video games, I'd be all up on that. If, yeah. I, if I didn't quit video games three yeah. weeks ago. Um, but yeah, Event Horizon is a fucking awesome movie. That's fucking tight. Okay, Noah, what is our topic today? Speaking of Event Horizon. Guys, our topic today, speaking of Event Horizon, is space mysteries. Here's what we're going to go into. First, we're going to start off with dark matter. What the hell is it? We're going to find out. Then we're going to go to neuron stars, then antimatter, then rogue planets, and we're going to end with the mysterious space roar. Yeah, space roar. Roar. And now, in beginnings that don't suck, Adam has 60 seconds to tell us everything we need to know to enjoy the episode. That's right. Adam, you ready? Yes. Three, two, one. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Dude Nature podcast. It's continuing mission Mm -hmm. to explore strange new topics. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. 100%. And on the Dude Answer podcast, we will go where only a few scientists have gone before to explore some of the lesser known mysteries of space. So, Noah. Yeah. What is our theme? Our theme is the great creepy unknown. Great creepy unknown. The great creepy unknown. What is out there? We don't know. Because space is big and full of mysteries. I know one thing that's out there. What's out there? The truth. The truth is out there. Hey. La, la, la. Hey, the first one we're going to talk about. Yeah. For our first section. Yep. Is dark matter. All right. Please tell us what you we guys ready? know about the dark matter. I actually didn't know anything about dark matter until I researched it, but I've heard, you guys have probably heard this buzzword a lot. Also, there's a book by Blake Crouch that is, eh, okay. Um, first off, dark matter. It's a big deal, Adam. Not only was the 2019 Nobel Prize given to this discoverer of this, one James Peeble, but it's likely that dark energy and dark matter make up 95% of the universe. With all the matter, so all the matter we can see, like planets and shit, that only makes up the other 5%. Basically, like if you look at a picture of a space, you see stars, planets, suns, whatever, all the black stuff, that's probably dark matter. Dark matter and dark energy is literally the dark stuff. That we thought was just nothing, but it, apparently it is something. What is that something? What does that mean? Well, I'm going to get to that, Adam. Yep. Okay. So, well, I guess, what what is what is that something? Yep. So, I'm going to give you it in a nutshell, then I'm going to keep going. Okay. Dark energy 
is basically the stuff that is expanding the universe. And dark matter is a mysterious kind of force that acts around the universe. I know, I know you're really confused, but let me, let me continue my narration mm-hmm. and then you'll get it. Okay. Okay. So first of all, how do we know about this? If we can't see any of the stuff, how, how do we know that it's even happening or that's a thing? Okay. Mm-hmm. After the, after the big bang, the universe began to expand. In fact, the expansion of the big bang has never actually stopped. The universe, even to this day, continually expands. Based on Albert Einstein's theories of gravity, which much like evolution to natural science are a foundation of thought on physics. So like his things to gravity is Darwin's things to evolution. If we take if we take them out, it would mess up a lot of our other science because we have so much stuff. It's like a house, right? We have so much stuff built up on that. On his theory of relativity. Yeah. Uh, no, his theory of gravity, actually. Different. Oh, that's Newton. This is Einstein's theory of gravity. Ah, okay. What is what? How did he build on Newton's theory of gravity? I'm just curious. I'm not. I'm, that's a really good question. I'm not sure. Okay. But his his theories on gravity. Oh, you mean like uh, the the bend in the space time is what you're getting at. What I'm what I'm what I'm getting at is that Einstein's theories of gravity are as foundational to physics as Darwin's theories of natural selection are to biology. Yeah, I think I think that Einstein what he did was. Um, show that space is like a fabric, right? When they do the pencil through the paper thing to show black classic. holes, the classic thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That time also comes into calculating how things work in space. And gravity and time are related. We we use his theories of gravity to try and understand all the physics of space. Okay. Okay. So here's the, here's the big here's the big deal with this. Based on his theories of gravity, which like a house, everything is built on the universe should decrease its rate of ex- expansion and eventually slow down. Okay, so imagine after the Big Bang, there's this big explosion. Everything flies outward, and eventually that explosion will slow down. And actually, some scientists postulate it might, in fact, reverse in what is known as the Big Crunch. Okay, but don't worry about the Big Crunch for now. <laughs> the Big Crunch. Yeah, it's what is, the theory is known as the Big Crunch. But just think about the big explosion. Everything is going out, right? And the, the force of the explosion is eventually going to slow down. That's how explosions work. Right. That's how gravity works. Okay. So here's, here's, here's the problem. Okay. When we look out in the universe and we expect this based on these foundational laws of physics, actually, not only is the, is the, is the big bang expansion, the explosion, not slowing down. It's actually continuing even faster. It's speeding up. It's It's, accelerating. Exactly. It's, it's, it's accelerating. So think of like a bowl of cereal. Okay. Think of a bowl of cereal that's like a mile big, well, where all your flakes are in the middle. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna go. We're gonna go into analogy zone with a bowl of cereal. Uh-huh. Bowl of cereal, all your flakes are in the middle. Basically, all the mass and gravity of your cereal is in is in the middle of that milk. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so in space, we, what we know about gravity, what is what is like matter do to other matter? Let's say that you have all your flakes in the center, Adam, and there's one flake out in the side. Yeah. What, what's going to happen to that flake out in the side? Depends how big that flake is. Say it's say it's a small small flake. If the, it will be pulled towards the bigger mass. Right. So what we would expect is that those flakes on the outside they get pulled into the center mass. And actually, mm-hmm. this is with the very fabric of the universe. That's what we would expect. We would expect this explosion to start coming back in to where all the matter is. Right, because its mass is larger and therefore it's attracted to. Right. It. So space is kind of like that bowl of cereal, Adam. 
Mm-hmm. All the universes, galaxies, whatever, is in this small clump in the middle. And then all the milk is all on the outside with nothing in it. Mm-hmm. So that's why we think it would contract. So in 1998, through the Hubble telescope, scientists were shocked to learn that the bowl of cereal is not pulling the milk, milk back in. Actually, milk is, is accelerating out faster. Again, with the, how's the analogy doing for you? It's good. You like it? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. So this is like as big of a deal if we found, so like, this is, let's say that we found a creature on earth Mm -hmm. that had no evolutionary tree to get to it and had no fossil record. Okay. That would kill the theory of evolution, right? Because we were like, this creature basically just appeared out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So that's why this like really fucks with the theory of gravity. Because it's something that goes completely against every, all the foundational physics. Because if something has a larger mass, it should be attracted to it, but it's not happening. Yeah, so basically... But there could be something else going on, right? Exactly. Well, income dark matter and dark energy. Okay. Let's get to our boys. So the only way the universe could be expanding like it is now, which is which is faster and faster, is, it, is if most of the matter in the universe is not in the flakes at the center of the bowl, but hidden somewhere in the milk. I see. Okay. So this mysterious hidden force accelerating the expansion of the universe when it should be decelerating is dark energy. Okay. Okay. Give it now. Now tell me your understanding. So, and then, yeah. then we can see if the listener would probably <clears throat> so, understand dark energy. Yeah. By dark energy, do you mean dark matter? Cause all matter, matter has energy. Okay. Good. Dark energy and dark matter are different. I'm sorry. This is just dark energy. Just focus on dark energy, but how can something be pulling towards it? If it's just energy, shouldn't it? be matter yeah so it's a little confusing Mm -hmm. but it's basically like dark energy is whatever is causing the universe to to keep on expanding dark energy is the force that's pulling the the pushing the outside pushing it pushing it pushing if you will actually you're right pulling yeah there's something pulling it out there so yeah so basically there are flakes on the outside of the cereal that are hidden that we can't see because the universe keeps expanding so there's mass out there Right. And the dark energy is the force that's pulling it towards the mass. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So based on, based on algorithms measuring the universe expansion versus mass pulling it in, the dark energy should be almost 68% of the total mass of the universe. So 68% of, of all matter in the universe is this invisible shit that's out there that we just cannot see, mm-hmm. which is crazy. So that's dark energy. Yeah, dark energy. Okay. okay, but what is dark matter? What is what is the thing it's pulling towards? What is the thing doing the pulling? Is dark matter? So dark matter, yeah, dark matter is actually pretty different. Again, dark energy is just is the stuff that is creating the expansion of the universe to go faster and faster. The stuff out on the edge of the bowl, out out in your milk, and by energy. But I think that the dark energy is a force, right? Yes. Okay, so all that's ma- why it's so confusing. All matter has energy inside of it. It's really weird to think about. Mm-hmm. But I think of energy as something pulling or pushing, like a like if you do like a force diagram, you know, like those Newton diagrams that you did in yeah. high school with arrows that show the force going whichever way. For me, in my head, I'm like, okay, the dark energy is an arrow pointing towards the side of the universe. That's exact. Good. That's 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 a fine way to think about it. Okay. Dark energy is the arrows at the outside of your ball pointing out. Okay. So then the matter is what is this matter that it's pulling towards? The matter is a little different. Okay. What's the matter? Okay. So to talk, to talk about the matter, 
we're going to talk about Vera Rubin, the discoverer of dark matter. Okay. Born in 1928 by two Jewish immigrant parents, she became wow. obsessed with space from her early age. Okay. Guess what? In 1928, being a, being a female astronomer was pretty tough. There's a lot of Rubin Jews out there. A lot of Rubens. A lot of Rubens? Yeah. Vera Rubin. Vera Rubin. Okay. So in 1948, she applied for admission to Princeton and they turned her down. Because the astronomy program at the time did not accept women. It's called a glass ceiling. Okay. Damn it. God okay. damn it. Jewish women. Okay. Never say dude nature is not woke. Yeah. Okay. Unfazed, she went to Georgetown and upon graduating became the first woman to be allowed to use the Polymer Observatory. There we go. Okay. So like at the Polymer Observatory, she said there was only a men's bathroom. So she like put a picture, oh. she put a picture of a woman on it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was the only, like literally the only woman in astronomy at yeah, this time. I bet. Um. So... While studying the motion of spiral galaxies in the 1970s, she expected to see stars in the middle moving faster than the ones on the outer edge. So imagine uh, our solar system. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like you would expect the planets in the middle to move faster than the planets on the outer edge. And if you want to like blow that up even more, you look at the whole galaxy, look at the planets in the very middle of the Milky Way and the planets on the very outside. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the ones in the middle should move faster because Adam... Because there's more force pulling them. Exactly. There's more force pulling them, which would make them spin faster. Mm -hmm. Okay. However, what she found was that the planets on the outside of the galaxies, they're moving at the same rate as the planets on the middle. Yeah. All right. Now see if you can make this logical leap. What should that mean? Uh, that should mean that the mass is evenly distributed throughout the universe. Very good. That should mean that throughout that galaxy, the mass is evenly distributed. But that makes no sense, right? Because we, because we don't see any other mass on yeah. the outside of those galaxies. Yeah. Okay. You know what that mass is on the outside of galaxies that we can't see? Is it the dark matter? That's the dark motherfucking matter. So is it called dark matter because that's we just don't know what it is? It's like X. You might as well just call it X matter. You might as well just call it fucking X. Fucking it's called I can't see matter. Monkey dick matter? It's called dark matter because it's called it's I can't see this matter. It's, it's, it's obviously matter that exerts that exerts a gravitational pull on things, but we can't see it. It's called marketing. It's called fantastic marketing. It's called fucking marketing. Dark matter guys. sounds great. Dark matter sounds dope. Yeah. I mean, I put it on here on this podcast. Dark matter sounds dope, but it is that mysterious force that we can't see. Yeah. All right. So here's the big thing about, here's the cool thing about her. Not only was like, you know, when she was going to come out with this research, her stuff was going to be shunted because she was a female. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but she's putting, she, by finding this, this is super controversial because all the other astronomers at the time, they were basing their observations on Einstein's theory of gravity, right? And so this just would disprove a lot of stuff that they oh, were working on. So not only was she controversial because she was a female, but she then put out these very controversial studies. And so what happened to her? So she got ostracized from the community. People tried to ostracize her. Yeah. People tried to shoot her down. People said that she was wrong. People were like, you're an idiot. How could you think that? Right, because all the theories say mm -hmm. that that shouldn't be true. Right, and 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 she's basically proposing theories. She's like, "There's this force out there that you can't see," and in science, they're like, "Well, that's dumb. There's no evidence," and they already want to shoot her down. Well, there was the, she used evidence from what she was seeing, right? Right from the right. from the Hubble telescope. But I'm saying like it must have been hard for her because fucking absolutely. Or she already wanted to fit into the society that she was ostracized <laughs> from. Is she still alive? So yeah, let me tell you. What let me tell you. What a boss. okay. Luckily, you know, she was strong and she stuck by her will. And in 1993, President Bill motherfucking Clinton awarded her the National Medal of Science. Oh, 
Bill. He yeah, because he, yeah. So she basically she stuck by her word and she kept going, kept making observations and kept publishing stuff. And finally, scientists were like, "Okay, there's so much evidence, we have to accept it." Awesome. You gotta have courage. To yeah, do the right she had thing. she had tons of she had tons of courage, and she she just she continued. Uh, so Bill mm-hmm. Bill Clinton. Uh, yeah, two years, no, one year before the affair, he probably really could have used this PR after the affair. Mm-hmm. He gave he gave her the National Medal of Science. And there's also now a ridge on Mars named after her and an asteroid. She died at 88 in 2016, and she wrote in 2011, My life has been an interesting voyage. I became an astronomer because I could not imagine living on Earth and not trying to understand how the universe works. So, fucking baller. Thanks to Vera Rubin and her dedication, we now know what dark matter is. Baller. Yeah, and just, and just to summarize, dark matter... Is something that lies around galaxies and ca- causes pulls and pushes on planets that we can't see. So, so she passed away. She passed away. Yes. I just want to play a little celebration music for Vera. Yeah, Rubin. this is for Vera. We'll give it. Give it to us. Crazy that she. Crazy that she told us to play that music even you know before she died. That's one of her. Crazy that she wrote it from her favorite songs. One of her favorite songs. Um, so again, dark matter is the invisible force that lies around galaxies and call it, causes the push and pulls on planets. Sometimes scientists speculate that dark matter actually lies in an invisible ring around galaxies. Mm-hmm. And that's why the planets on the outside move in the same as the planets in the middle. Okay. And then dark energy is the mysterious force that is cause, that is pulling the fabric of the universe outward. Yeah. I think that you explained that really well. Thank you. That was a tough one, but I didn't know anything about it before I started. But I hope that uh, listener, I hope that you guys know now. What, so, what's our uh, what's our most modern understanding of what this dark matter could be, or what's our theories? That that is that's it. That is just something we don't know. It, uh, we have no theories. We we don't we we scientists say that they know more about what it is not than what it actually is. Okay, so what what they what they postulate is that basically it is some kind of invisible form of matter. Right. So if it's the name dark matter, if it's not matter, then that would one of the laws of the universe would have to be changed. Right. Exactly. If it is, if it's not matter, then Einstein's theory of gravity was wrong. And then just like if, if we found out that natural selection was wrong, it would, it wouldn't be good. It would be good that we found it out, but it would, it would destroy a lot of science because a lot of science is based on that. So if we found out that it's not matter. That it's not matter. Well, well, then we got a weird lot, place. We got a lot of thinking to do. Then we've got to be like, um, so, so the simulation has a bit of a bug. Uh, crazy thing, Albert Einstein, when he wrote his his theories of gravity, mm-hmm. he kind of like mentioned he like touched on this. That he kind of thought that there might be like this kind of dark matter force. Fuck yeah! So he fucking knew because he's a fucking dog. All yeah. right, Adam. Yep. Take us to neuron stars. Okay. Neutron stars. Neutron stars, not neuron Commonly stars. Commonly confused with neuron stars. Commonly. Okay. Which are ninja stars that you throw at other people. Absolutely. Uh, this is a neutron star and strange matter. Not dark matter. We're going to talk about strange matter. Oh, I like We got okay. a lot of matter in this episode. We got a lot of matter. So what we're going to do is we're going to define what these are, neutron stars and strange matter. We're going to talk about what quarks are. Okay. You may have heard of that. We're going to talk about quark matter. And we're about a quark, and then we're, finally we're going to talk about strange matter. So there's going to be a lot of new concepts in here. Yeah, 
Okay. Gotta get your thinking caps on for this episode. So it may blow your mind. You may be completely lost and that's okay. Just keep going with it because it's really about, it's really all theoretical at this point anyway. Okay. Okay. So just remember the feeling you get from learning that strange matter might eat your face in a relatively short amount of time. Dope. Okay. So what is a neutron star? A neutron star is what remains after a very massive star. So more than eight times the size of our sun, Mm -hmm. a solar mass. That would be considered a very massive star, and they have different star life cycles. So if you have, or you, if you are a small star, relatively small in quotes, according to the universe, you have a different life cycle, like birth, death, and then if you are a giant star. Okay. What happens when you are a giant star is when you explode, you go supernova, and when this happens, the star's core collapses under its own extreme gravitational force. And you are, you're going to get into this later with black holes. Cause this is something that could happen with you. It is the birth of a black hole. I'm not going to do black holes, but oh, that's okay. cool. But that's cool. But fuck, that's very cool. Fuck black holes. Fuck right? black holes. This so, is- so, so, so huge star. Yeah. Explodes. Yep. And forms into this so much gravity. It's instead of forming a black hole, what happens is it squeezes. Yep. 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 Couple questions. So is it's so big that it skips the black hole phase when it explodes. Is that correct or no? Well, two things can happen at this point. Okay. Number one, it can turn into a black hole. Mm-hmm. And number two, it can turn into a neutron star. So what makes that difference? Like yes. what, why, like, yeah, how does it, what's like the if statement? What's there? the fork? You know what I mean? What's how, the fork? How, how do I go to the fork? Okay. So when the star explodes, it creates so much gravity that its particles are squeezed together incredibly rapidly. And the protons and electrons, they combine to form neutrons. Okay, these neutrons, neutrons by their physical spin, they repel other neutrons inside of an atom. So there's a bunch of neutrons sitting inside of this core that repel each other. They don't want to be next to each other, but they're being forced to be next to each other. Okay, right. so when that kind of shit happens, someone's going to win. Either grav <laughs> either gravity wins and pushes it in on itself and creates a black hole. Okay. Or gravity loses and the neutrons win and the star becomes a neutron star. So it becomes a different type of star and not a black hole. Okay. Ready? Yes. Ready? Star explodes. Star explodes. Big star explodes. Big star. Huge star explodes. It gets to the fork in the road. Mm-hmm. And if, if gravity wins and keeps compressing it, correct? Yeah, if gravity wins and keeps compressing it, it turns into a black hole. If gravity loses and the new the the neutrons win, yeah, basically pushing outward, right, then it becomes a neutron star. Right, it becomes a neutron star. Okay, okay. So before now we know what a neutron star is. Let's Boom. talk about I'm what ready. quarks are because then we're gonna put them both together. A quark. Quark me. Quark. Quark is a subatomic particle, so it's smaller, even on a, on the next level than electrons or protons and neutrons. These quarks, they make up protons and neutrons. They bond together. Yes. Uh, just when you when you go into an atom, protons, neutrons, and electrons. Mm-hmm. Proteins, proton is the one with the positive charge. Neutrons is the one with the neutral charge. And electrons is the one with the negative charge. Absolutely. So got you, it. Adam's talking about a level deeper than that. Right. And they're all orbiting a nucleus. Okay. Great. Okay. Good. A lot of concepts here. A lot of concepts. Okay. So these quarks, they like to hang out together. They don't hang like out. to be separate. Okay. And they're bonded to each other. They can't be really be pulled apart. 
except in an instance that we're going to get to in a second. So they're believed not to be able to be divided by science right now. They are the most elemental building blocks of life as we know it currently. Are they the smallest? They're the smallest. A quark. You can't get smaller than a quark because cool. we know it right now. Okay, great. Okay. So those are the pixels in the simulation. Those are exactly. Those are the tiny pixels. Great. The unit of matter, the tiniest unit of matter. Yeah. Okay. So neutron star cores are like the universe, it said right after the Big Bang. There's so much pressure going on in the neutron star's core that under this amount of pressure, the quarks, which can't be separated usually, they separate from each other because of the intense, intense pressure. Gotcha. So matter that is usually combined is now separate. And doesn't like to be separated. No. And this star, once the quarks separate in a neutron star, it becomes something called a quark star. Okay, so you can, be, you can be a neutron star without your quark separating. But if there's so much pressure from the charge in the neutrons, the quarks can separate and it becomes a quark star. Okay? We almost need like a tree. We really do almost need a tree. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we have a bunch of quarks swimming around in what scientists call a quark bath, which is just a shitload of quarks. In the, in the neutron star. Or in the quark star. In the middle of a neutron star. Quark star. Yes, and it is a quark star. Okay. These quarks that are free, they collide with electrons and neutrons. Colliding and combine to produce something called strange matter. That's what it's called. That's literally the scientific term for it is strange matter. Strange matter. Okay. In a bunch of strange matter, which is a proton, a neutron, and a quark combined... It's called a strange let. Okay, so what the fuck is yeah, a what strange the hell, let? What do these things do? Yep. Strange lets, in short, they force every matter that they touch to become strange matter. Everything it touches. It's like a zombie. Because if you remember, atoms are always trying to become stable because they are unstable. Right. Matter is always trying to stabilize itself, just like you're trying to stabilize your own life currently. Yeah. Matter is doing the same thing. I feel for them. Yes. So other matter sees the strange matter for some deep, deep reason in physics as being incredibly stable. This is all very oversimplified, obviously. Good. Okay. It sees itself as being very, very stable and it wants to become strange matter. So if strange matter touches it, it becomes okay. strange as well. So basically the strange matter, it's like, it's like a zombie thing. It's like a zombie it, thing. It's just creating more and more strange matter. Okay, and what what crazy property? What does it do, the strange matter? Yeah, what does it do? Okay, so what's the deal with it? You would it? think in your head, right, this isn't a problem right now because it's inside of the core of a neutron star. Way far away. It's way far away in the core of a neutron star. It's not that bad. It's confined inside of that star. Yes. However, when neutron stars collide with other neutron stars, and when they collide with black holes, they spew out some of their core matter. They, like explode. Because they like explode, essentially, yes. And what therefore, a colossal explosion that is. It, like, what would it be like to be just hanging outside of your ship and see a neutron star and another neutron star hit It'd each other? It'd probably be like amazingly pretty if you were far, far away. Probably be like so crazy. Make no sound. Right. It would make no sound. No sound. Battlestar Galactica Battlestar got that Galactica, right. They got that right. Yep. No sound, but 
it would be an unbelievable thing to see. It'd be like amazing. I mean, you can imagine astronauts say that they see Earth and it totally changes their life. Imagine seeing neutron stars collide. Fucking dope. I got shivers. I know, honestly. It would just be like, this universe is so amazing. I've like, you know that what I mean? Incredible. Like, be like simu- holy shit. Like, this simulation is so good. Okay, so when they collide, some of the strangelets escape. Okay. Once, once again, strangelet is the name for yeah. strange matter combined with proton. So the zombies are the zombies are out, basically. Yeah, the zombies are out. Okay, good. They could be small as fuck. These strangelets, like subatomic, once again, but contain the entire mass of a neutron star inside of the subatomic particle. I love thinking about stuff like that. Wait, 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 say that again. They have the entire mass of a star, basically. They could be of as a tiny small particle. as a nuclei, but weigh as much as the entire star because of the force inside of it. Yeah, that is mind. It's mind blowing. Okay. These particles that are sent out, they yeah. can weigh that much. Yeah. So, yes. So basically, <laughs> if you put one on the Earth, it would like weigh the Earth out of gravity. Right. So what would happen if one of these strangelets that was released from a neutron star collision hit the Earth? Break through. What would happen is right? it, it would hit the Earth and would turn everything, including us, into strange matter. And then we would be a little comet of strange matter. And then we would hit something else. And then that would become strange, oh, right? Wow. So okay, it's so literally yeah. like something, a virus destroying the universe. Zombie strange matter. Okay. If it strikes the sun, we would have, it would turn it into strange matter. We'd have no light and we'd die as well. All right. So it's a little bit st- scary. And how does this relate back to science as we understand it right now? Well, to go back to your first point about dark matter, some scientists believe that strangelets could be the secret to strange matter. Or to dark matter. Dark matter could oh, be strange matter. Because it, if if there's something... Because so during much. the Big Bang, the Big Bang environment was exactly like... I say exactly like... Was a lot like the environment inside of a neutron star. So the stuff on the edges of the universe mm-hmm. could be strange matter. And that's what could be pulling things towards it. Some of the edges of the universe could be strange matter because it weighs so much too that yeah. it would have a very high gravitational force. Yeah. And it's just, just making shit into strange matter out there. Yeah, exactly. So what is, do we have any actual evidence of this taking place? Yeah. Right. This is all theoretical right now. So five days ago, literally five days ago today. That's dope. A Chinese study conducted by six professors at various Chinese universities tried to search for the existence of quark stars. So they're like, how can we figure out if some of these stars are actually quark stars? Yeah. What's a quark star? Okay. It's a quark star again is. Let me get it. Let yes. Me, let me get it. Let me uh, listen to your avatar. Let me, let me get it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. A quark star is when a star. Okay. When a star, when a star, when a star dies, it can either become a black hole or a neutron star. Absolutely. Okay. It, and then this one becomes a neutron star. And then if the neutron star is so powerful, it yes. can push its really, really small particles called quarks apart. Exactly. And that is a quark star. Exactly. Oh okay. my God. That's an A. There you go. That's, that's why you get a fucking A plus a. quark star. So to search for the existence of quark stars, stars made up of strange matter in their cores, they scoured what's called the Montreal White Dwarf Database. And I went to that online. It's public data. You can pull it down if you'd like. It's got about 50,000 different white dwarfs in there that are known in the universe right now. And these quark stars are supposed to be in similar mass to a white dwarf. Okay. What is a white dwarf? Okay. White dwarfs are not what we're talking about here. So we're going to go really quick. A white dwarf is when a low mass star, like our sun, dies and the core no longer supports itself with fusion. It supports itself with thermal energy in its own core because we've 
we've exhausted all of the hydrogen outside of it, it becomes a white dwarf. Okay. Eventually this will become a black dwarf. And right now there are no black dwarfs in the universe because apparently it would take 13.8 billion years to make a black dwarf. And what is the age of the universe right now? Not 13.8. 13.6. That's crazy. Yeah. So our sun will become this white dwarf, but what was the black dwarf? Just a dead, a black dwarf is when the like thermal, the thermal energy inside the core burns out totally. So then is it just a molten rock? Just yeah. Rock? It's so it's an asteroid. It's an asteroid, basically. It becomes basically So an all this is like, die, the, the dying process of a sun is cool, basically. Oh, yeah. The star life cycle is amazing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So these quark stars are supposed to have the same kind of mass of a white dwarf. In this study, they're looking through the public database of white dwarfs. And why were they doing this? Because they wanted to find the anomalies in the data that show a white dwarf, a white dwarf in quotes, with a large mass and exceptionally small radius. Because if it's a quark star, it will have a much higher mass because the strange matter is much denser than a white dwarf. So they're looking for something with an extremely high mass based on its radius, an outlier, as you will. A white dwarf, that's an outlier. So a white dwarf would have, if a white dwarf has like a radius of two and a mass of four. Yeah. Okay. The quark star might have a mass of six in a radius of two. I got it. So the same radius, very same heavy, size. It's a very heavy white dwarf. But it's exceptionally Wait, heavy. Hold on. It's a very heavy white dwarf. Very heavy white dwarf, okay. right? So... With this data, they just, they crunched the data with the program or something. And figured out. They were just like, if if this has too high of a mass, separate it out and we can take a closer look at it. And they're like, how did that come to be? Yeah. So of the 50,000 white dwarfs we have in the database, they found eight of them. Eight. That do not follow the mass to radius relation that they were looking at. And so at one time they were spewing zombie matter across the universe. So these eight are extremely massive for their radius. They're outliers. So could these be quark stars? Or were quark stars? Or, no, could they be quark stars right now? Okay. This doesn't prove that they are strange quark stars, full of strange matter, but something is definitely going on with these eight. Is there something weird going on? Could they be actually quark stars? I don't know. Darren lies the question. There you go. So there's evidence from five days ago. Woo! Questions? Um, okay, so basically with the, with the five days ago, what they, they found those too heavy to be just white dwarf stars normally. Yes. And those are and that's evidence of a quark star and evidence of strange matter. Well, yeah. So they actually went reverse. It's evidence that something is not following the white dwarf laws of physics. Yeah. Something else is going on. Can you give the people uh like two bullet points to take away from this? There is something really scary called strange matter inside of some neutron stars and it will eat things in the galaxy. That's good. That's fine. One bullet point. Strange matter is crazy. Strange matter is crazy. But don't worry about it too much because it hasn't happened, you know, in in the age of the earth, five billion years. But we it haven't been hit by strange matter. So it's, it's just, not going to happen tomorrow. It's probably not going to happen tomorrow. This don't trip that, out. It's this, what if it, it's this thing that zombifies things? It basically zombifies It's an things. old alien weapon that they shot at something. Now exactly. it's just like taking things over. Noah. Yes. Let's go to antimatter and then we'll do a halftime honey afterwards. All right. Our third matter. Let me just say, before we go into this. This is going to be less. You're going to work your brain a little bit less on this one. Coolio. Okay. So this is the third matter of the day. Why is it? Why are we even talking about antimatter? 
Adam, why are we even discussing it? It's a mystery of space. We're discussing it because it's a mystery of space. But number two, there's a ton of applications that we are not far away from. Maybe, maybe within the next 50 years, we're in, we're within striking distance of using this stuff. Okay. What is it? Okay. Why is it interesting? Because antimatter produces 100 to 200 times more energy than nuclear reaction. And it can be used for potential future rocket engines. Then fission or fusion? <sighs> then fission. Okay. Yeah. So then we are currently capable of producing. Yes. So 100 to 200 times more energy than we are currently capable of producing. Got it. So this is applications for rocket engines, for energy, sure. for, for whatever. Power and we're no. fucking close to it. This is one of the most promising new sources of energy is antimatter. Oh, cool. Okay. Sounds great. Yeah. So what is antimatter? Well, first, Adam, we need to dive down to the subatomic level. I promise this is not going to be a science. Just hang with me for a little bit. Then we'll get back to practical. I was so excited. I spilled my LaCroix all over okay, my pants. Good. Yeah. It's because 100, 200 times more powerful than a nuclear reaction. So let's, we're going to zoom into Adam's forehead. If we zoomed into Adam's forehead, again, yeah. we would see electrons that have a negative charge. Protons have a positive charge and neutrons that have a neutral charge. Now, antimatter is simply the same things, electrons, neutrons, and protons, but with a flipped charge. Mm -hmm. So, Adam, let me see if you can get this. Ready? Yeah. So, if antimatter is those three things with a flipped charge, so electrons usually have a negative charge. What does that mean, a flipped charge? Just, just bear with me. So, electrons usually have a negative charge in what's called antiparticles, as they're called, an electron would have a what? I mean, it, it's going to have a positive charge. But, Thank I, God. but okay. doesn't that make Good. it... Then, then then it just turn into a proton? Why can't it just pro turn into a proton? Why is it still an electron with a positive charge? That's a good question. I would formulate that it has the shape and everything of an electron. Because it's orbiting the nucleus yeah, as an it's, electron? It's, it's an electron that has a positive. It is just basically the complete... and uh, It's like the... It's the upside down. If you took if you took an atom and went to the upside down, oh my god, how do we even get this shit? Just just hold on. Just, just this is the only real theoretical stuff you need to understand to to to, to like the rest everything's of the upside down. Everything's flipped. Everything is the upside down. Got Protons. It. Yep, yep, yep. They got Check. a they got a negative charge now. Yep. Electrons, they have a positive charge now. I'm on the level. I'm on the fucking level. Okay. So, these are basically the matter we have right now. It is take that matter and go to the upside down and that is exact that's exactly what antimatter is. Okay? Okay. What happens? This is the big thing. When antimatter and matter meet each other. So what happens when something from the upside down and something from here collide? Well, they cancel each other out in a process that's known as annihilation. Sick. Okay. So, Adam, testing your knowledge. When matter and antimatter combine, what is that called? It's called annihilation. I'm guessing annihilation. it produces a shitload of energy. Yeah. And annihilation produces approximately one fuck ton of energy. What happens to the matter? Does it just both, cease to both exist? Both the matter, very good. Both the matter and antimatter, they're gone. They disappear. What do you mean they're gone? Because they're, so they, they, they hit each other. They basically cancel each other out. And then tons of energy is produced. They're gone from the universe. Both matters. Gone going. Gone. gone okay. Everything gone. So gone. annihilation of antimatter is a thousand times more powerful than a nuclear fusion bomb. Spaceships now use chemical energy from the reaction of hydrogen and oxygen combustion. Antimatter gives off 10 billion times the energy than that reaction. So basically, if when you watch a spaceship go up, like the SpaceX or whatever, it uses hydrogen and oxygen combined to make like the whatever, the fuel source. Mm -hmm. Antimatter annihilation is 10 billion times the energy of that. Okay, I don't understand how we make antimatter. 
I, I'm going to, yeah, that's, that's my night. Thank you for introducing my next segment. Yeah. Where, where do, where do they come from? Okay. First one, talk about where they come from. The, they, do you, do you want me just to answer your question? Yeah. To answer your question directly? Yeah. We, we can make antimatter now. Okay. How, how do we do it? Um, elect the large, like electron colliders. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, those, like those huge, those big things that are yeah. like a mile yep. long. Yep. yep. Okay. So we can, we can, we've made, well, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to go to this other section. I was going to get to it. So particle accelerators, that's how we make antimatter. So, so far the human race has produced 17 nanograms of antimatter. Which is basically wow, nothing. 17 nanograms. Yeah, so here's the big problem. Okay, we spent we can spend a ton of money on these particle accelerators to make antimatter. But the problem is, guess what happens when we make antimatter? Um, what happens? We can't keep it around. Because it decays? Because we live in a world that's matter. So it, it tries, it, it immediately, immediately annihilates Immediately itself. after we make it, it finds matter and annihilates. Yeah. Problem. Yeah, that's the problem. Okay, Can so we keep it in a vacuum? So for for the future rocket engines, yeah, what what they like the conceptual drawings are that we basically keep it in a magnet. We we make oh, shit. we have the antimatter. We keep it in a magnet, and when we need fuel, we annihilate. We a anni- little bit comes in. A little bit comes in, gets annihilated, and goes out the thruster. Very cool. Yeah, and then when it annihilates, it the the entropy is an extreme amount. The of entropy energy. is ten billion times the energy of the current system that we use. For rockets, um, and you said it was a thousand times more power, a hundred times more powerful than fission. So there was a difference between like power and then like the like rocket energy that I to- didn't totally understand. Okay, okay, that's fine. But I am reading ten billion times we're energy. All, we're all adults here. Okay, we're all yeah. adults. Okay, yeah. exactly like adults. Yeah. So where did it even come from? In the big here's the here's the crazy thing. Here's a mystery of the universe. In the Big Bang, antimatter. And equal and opposite matter was produced. Okay, so we had the Big Bang. We produced, you know, let's say we produced 10 things of matter. Well, we produced 10 things of antimatter too. The same thing in the upside down. Okay? So right now in this universe, one of the big mysteries is why do we live in a world that's matter and we can't find any any antimatter? And this is Because, this, okay, just like Newton's first law. No, no, his first law. An, a, an action should have an equal and opposite reaction. The action to matter being created is antimatter. You have to have it's a one to one. You have to have one antimatter per right. matter. Right. So so the big fucking the big puzzle is where the hell is the antimatter? Yeah, where the fuck is it? Where the fuck is it? Okay, so a lot of scientists spec- speculate that there's actual antimatter galaxies out there. So there's Whoa. so basically if we go far far enough into space, we'll hit the out we'll hit the upside down and the rest of that will be antimatter. Well, my question is then why is that not being attracted to the matter around it? Very good. And so, 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 so basically, if there were galaxies of antimatter out there, and we live in a galaxy that's matter on the border, on the border of the of the matter and antimatter, we should be seeing what? Collisions, huge explosions, a lot of energy, a lot of explosions, and those explosions would would give off gamma rays. And the thing is that we we don't see any evidence of that along the battle lines. Yeah. So basically, matter. along the battle lines, we don't see any energy of that. But when we do, so when we do find like, <laughs> if we find an antimatter galaxy and when we find an intelligent antimatter alien mm-hmm. living in the antimatter galaxy, we'll yeah. just trade with them. And then we'll both have an unlimited fuel source. Sounds great. Sounds fucking great. We'll stop out fucking rocket engines. That's why we're talking about antimatter in the first place. Yeah. What about them? Okay. Let me give you an example. The Saturn V rocket. One of, I, I think if not the most recent thing to go to the moon, it was one of the most recent ones. 
Okay, this is a list of the fuel that's needed for a Saturn V rocket that's held in six different compartments. Okay. Yeah. 66,700 gallons of liquid hydrogen fuel, 19,359 gallons of liquid oxygen, 260,000 gallons of liquid hydrogen, 80,000 gallons of liquid oxygen, 318,000 gallons of liquid oxygen, and then in the final container, 203,400 gallons of kerosene. What? So what is the weight? I mean, it's horrible. So, so yeah. So imagine the fucking weight from that shit. Right. Where you're basically, I mean, imagine also you see the danger it is to humans to sit on, you're sitting on tons of rocket fuel. Yeah. I think just to that, get up into space. I'm just going to add on all these up in my head. It's, we're looking at about 600 to 700,000 gallons of fuel. It's unbelievable. In, in, in a rocket ship. And this is just to get to the moon. So to get to Mars, this could quadruple. So times four. So in the rockets that get to Mars, we have four times this amount of fuel. Okay. One gallon. One gallon weighs six pounds, just about. Oh, good job doing that. Yeah. Okay, so what's 700,000 times six? 30. No, 42. It's fucking, it's a lot. Three million, six hundred, Bob. Three million pounds? I didn't say three. You said that. <laughs> How is it? I'm that sounds like way too much. Okay. It's a lot. All right. We a get it. Ton. They One get it. Ton. They get it. We get it. They get it. We're going to move on. Tons. So how much antimatter do you think? So if all those things that we listed, it times that all by four. Now, how much antimatter do you think we need to make the trip to Mars? Oh, okay. With, oh, because we don't need any of that fuel. Uh, a gram. Okay. That was, that was, that I'm, I'm literally the world's you. best guesser. I didn't want to Once say again, the world's so best, the world's stupid. best guesser is struck it's, again. <laughs> He's struck again. He's here. All right. So to get there in the same time frame as that ship, as the hydrogen liquid, liquid oxygen ship, which is about a year, we would need a millionth of a gram of antimatter. Yeah, well, so we went from a couple one, We went off. from one fuck ton pounds of liquid oxygen to barely fucking any antimatter. That's fucking okay. Insane. So now you can probably see the aerodynamic, economic impact this can have on space travel. That's why we need the skyhook. Honorable mention for the skyhook. Don't. What is the skyhook? Really quickly, a skyhook is a giant cable we have the technology for. Literally a cable that is swinging around in space in low Earth orbit. Okay, so. We won't have to sit on a bunch of rocket fuel anymore. And they'll just take- you know what we have to do? We just have to get up to a low orbit. We connect. We connect and to the skyhook. And it f- flings us Brilliant. out into space. See, I love those things like the solar sail that are just like, literally just have like the, the easiest little technology, but it could be so effective. Yep. So we won't need rockets anymore. We'll just fling to Mars. We'll literally fling to Mars. And then if something goes wrong, okay. we're fucked. If we had 10, if we had 10 grams of um, antiprotons, which is just antimatter, if we had 10 grams of antimatter... We could get to Mars in a month instead of a year. Well, instead of, what is it, six, seven months? Oh, it's like a year. I think it's six, seven months. It's like a year. Agreed. I disagree with you. I, it's just like a fucking year. It's like 10. But I see the your actual point. time point is like 10 months. I think it's five. Okay, whatever. We would, we would basically t- a tenth the time of getting to Mars. Yeah, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. It's that just would make a month. it so much more practical to get there. Sounds great. I could do a month. I could do, do a month fu- on the ship. I could do a fucking month. I do a month in the we ship. We could do a fucking month. I'll Let's be in, do the a ship, month in the ship, hanging out, playing play guitar. guitar. You play yeah, ukulele. Play guitar, play you. People would people would hate us. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be tight. Bring Mac the first the first crew to bring Mac Dre up on the ship. <laughs> yeah. All right, again, we have we have made it. I know we talked about this earlier. We made about seventeen nanograms of antimatter, and if you think that's a big deal, well, I, I have bad news. Let's say that we annihilated all the seventeen nanograms of antimatter that we had made at once. How much energy do you think it would have produced? Um, 
I'm hoping a lot, but I'm as the world's get, best guesser, I have a responsibility to the public to guess on this one. Yeah. So I'm going to say it would make as much energy as a fission bomb. Uh, oh, I'm so glad that you are very wrong about this okay, one. Is it just so a tiny if amount? we annihilated all the antimatter at once, the energy wouldn't even be enough to boil a cup of tea. There you go. So nanograms are. So we have made ba- we have made basically none of it. So making one gram of antimatter, the world's most expensive cup of tea. The world it would make. It's literally the world's most expensive cup of tea. Making one gram of antimatter would require twenty five million billion kilowatt hours of energy. And it would cost over a million billion dollars. If someone can write out, I don't even know how you would write a million billion, but that's the deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, it's actually really counterproductive to even make antimatter because yeah, it costs a million billion dollars to make the thing. There you go. Okay. So again, we discussed antimatter galaxies, right? So the thing about antimatter is it's totally the same, it's just the opposite. It's yeah. the upside down without like the creepy vibe. It's just, it's just imagine going to the upside down and it looks exactly the same. I love it. Okay. But we're close to making it into a fuel. So, but anyway, we are, we are, it's speculated within the next 50 years, we could have some kind of use for it as a fuel. We're close to making it as a fuel and it will greatly improve our space travel and everything. Okay. That sounds like a anti motherfucking As good a place as any to take a quick musical break. And after the break, it is time for the best part of the podcast. It is time for give me that halftime, sweet halftime, honey. You ever play spoons? You guys out there ever play spoons? Slap a spoon on your on your on your thigh. We do that out from the spaceship on the way to Mars. Noah, this is the halftime honey, where we toast and discuss and celebrate some absurd science in the news that is somehow related to our episode. And this episode is space mysteries. I find the story and Noah responds with his immediate thoughts. So this halftime honey, as I raise my glass, Noah, what are we drinking? We're drinking the Jack Daniels Honey, the drink of choice for Dude Nature. Okay. I raise Jack my Daniels, glass give us that fucking and money. I make a toast. Give us that money. To Millennium, the Millennium Space Company. The company that is making tape for satellites and other debris to deorbit easier. Tape? More on that after this toast. Like fucking tape? Like, like fucking tape. Like duct tape? Oh my god, Oh my pecker. My pecker. My Daddy pecker, got a little pecker, bit happier. Daddy got a little bit happier. That's so good. That's so good. So I can't pour any jack honey in my coffee in the morning. When is that so like that would be like not ch- not tight. Millennium Space is a subsidiary owned by Boeing who launched a test last month of deorbiting technology. It's basically a piece of tape. Two small boxes, very small, like they are the size of your laptop were launched, one with about 240 feet of tape behind it, and the other without the tape, so the control. Okay. The tape one is expected to deorbit in 45 days, and the non-tape one is expected to deorbit in seven years. What? What does the tape do? Yes. So the problem that this is trying to solve, there are currently over 20,000 objects large enough to be tracked flying in Earth's orbit. 
I see. And these have already hit the space station and they've hit space shuttles and caused issues. So, like, we are obviously really fucking good at fucking shit so up. So we trash space. We've already trashed Earth's orbit. We literally orbit. trashed our orbit. He's, here are some of the things that are in orbit right now. There are cameras, thermal blankets. There's a picture of a thermal blanket just flying away from a spacewalk. Garbage bags full of trash. Tool bags, pliers, boosters because of the rocket's stage. Sometimes the rocket stage of the space shuttle, it just goes into orbit. It doesn't fall back to Earth. It's too high. Yeah. And, and anti-satellite weapons during the Cold War. Great. Okay. So there are tons of objects flying around in space. We need a way to get all this trash down if we are to make it through Earth's low orbit safely. And this tape is trying to solve that problem. So your thoughts. Uh, how are they going to put the tape on the things they need to get out of orbit? So you have to get to the thing and put the tape on? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, right. Uh, we haven't we haven't gotten to that part yet. So they're just like, this tape helps get stuff out of orbit, but how do I get We're the talking fucking about, tape like, on the There thing? are things in space, there are some satellites in space that will be there for 120 years. How do we get the tape on those damn things? I don't know. I think that this is more of an application for launching stuff. When we launch stuff, we can have a deorbiting protocol for it than it is to attach it to stuff that's already I orbiting. see in the future in the future we put the tape on and it will go out of orbit there's other designs for basically trash picker uppers in space that have a big net that that take up trash what you're trying trash. to tell me is that i could sell my tape to nasa what i'm trying to tell you is that solution nerd tape is that could be sold to nasa can be sold to nasa exactly so also that, it brings me to thinking about you know trash on our planet yeah like, when, when are we going to be able to get space travel economic enough where we can just take all the fucking trash out? I'm not saying jettison it in orbit, but honestly, just fucking jettison it in space. You're you're polluting the environment of space. Is that good? The space is fucking huge. Yeah. I don't, I so, don't know about that one. No, I know, I, I know that there's like an ethical consideration, but really think about it logically. Like, just fucking throw the space out there. Throw, throw the shit out that there. That would be great. So people know people would know that we're coming to Saturn, the people that live on Saturn, by the amount of trash and, and poop that they get. Do you think that, so the zookeeper alien, the alien that's watching us, do you think that as soon as we start throwing trash we're out of space? literally throwing trash like, at them. Okay, that's it. We're like a monkey throwing the poop like, at the zoo. like, cut the simulation, kill them. That's it? That's it. Okay. Uh, this is going on right now, and you can see it. If you are a pretty good animer, amateur astronomer, you can see it flying around the sky, a box with giant tape on it. So, Noah. Yeah. It's time for rogue planets. Let's do it. Okay. What are rogue planets? What are they? I mentioned this in our Mars terraforming episode, and I'm going to go through them again. These are the same things that we talked about. We're just going to talk about it in a little more detail. A rogue planet is a planet that travels through the universe by itself. No light hits its surface. They wander around the dark parts of the universe. They're not bound to any sun. So they originally were. How are they formed? You might be asking with your eyes, looking at me, wondering. It's just thinking. a big asteroid. It's basically, yes. They're young star systems, like at the beginning of the formation of galaxies. The planets eat each other up based on mass. So the one with the bigger mass wins. It, the littler mass crashes into it, and it becomes a bigger planet. Yeah. If a giant planet moves close to the solar system, it can also kick these little rogue planets out of the system. So they get pulled by their gravity, and they get flung out of their own solar system. 
the small planets, big planet moves close to the solar system it's in and big it flings planet, it out. How about a big star moves close and it, it flings it, it out? It flings a little planet out. Yeah. Black, uh, it doesn't have to be a planet. It can be a black hole as well or even a neutron star. Like flicks it out. Flicks it out. So at the very least, there are billions of rogue planets speculated in the Milky Way alone. Billions of them. They're just not in a solar system. Not in a solar system. These are just big hunks of rock that no. used to be planets that are wandering around alone. Not orbiting a sun. Not orbiting a sun. They're wandering around alone in the darkness. Wandering planet. Wandering planet. What happens to these planets? As they leave their sun, the planet's surface cools down to negative 270 degrees Celsius. Extremely cold. And their oceans become hard as rock on the top by freezing. So this is an issue for life on these planets because life needs water to survive. So is there no water on these planets? No. A lot of these planets will have had water because they are have been in solar systems before. Right. Okay. Okay. The freezing water is an issue for life as we know it because water... Because life, water needs life. Life needs water to survive. Why? Because water mixes the building blocks of life as we know it to form what we need to see. And our Earth gets 99%, 99.97 that is, of its energy from the sun. So 0.03% comes from its hot core. That comes out of vents usually in the ocean floor. And this is important because these rogue planets, guess what they're not going to have? They're not going to have the energy from the sun. So, so is there some liquid water on them? What we're basically trying to figure out is, could there be life on these rogue planets? Okay, right. And we need some liquid water for that. We need liquid water. Is there? And in order to have liquid liquid water that stays liquid, we need some heat warming the planet. And so there is no heat from the sun, but 0.03% of the earth's heat comes from its core. So there is still heat coming from the core and that could be applying to these rogue planets in its oceans and can i just say too because they have a because they're frozen on the outside yeah it actually might insulate exactly like a a greenhouse layer does for us not only that insulates the not only would it insulate the hot ocean underneath but it would make it so that asteroids when they hit the planet because it's not it's not protected by jupiter or anything like how jupiter protects us yeah these asteroids would hit the hard rock frozen ice and it would completely protect any life that's going on underneath the ice, which is great. Okay. So it could have an extremely dense atmosphere. These planets like a greenhouse effect in their ocean and above. Thus it's possible that the ocean would also not freeze over because of this atmosphere. The most likely scenario for a rogue planet having life is that it has subglacial oceans under a thick layer of water ice that froze. How can life exist down there, Noah? Deep down in our own oceans, we have black smokers. The thermal vents. The thermal vents that spew out a black material of hot water that these smokers provide minerals to bacteria to feed on. Then the large-ass tube worms, I guess they could be two meters long, feed on these bacteria and then squid, squid, squeed, Eat the tube worms and so on until you have so basically, starting point there of life. could be that environment going on there. Exactly. So there could even be intelligent life underneath these thick ice sheets. Living on thermal vents. And all they know is that their world is underwater and that at the top of their world is a thick block of ice. And they may they're never going to because they're never going to develop fire because they're living under underwater. Right. They're never going to become that advanced. They're still going to be primitive. And they could just think that their whole world is in water under ice. That's in a lot of science fiction too. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, if you can't develop, if yeah, if you can't develop the fire, then you can't have a space program. So then when, you can't go. When we finally have the technology to go to these wandering planets in the dark all alone, 
we may break through the ice and just see a kraken erupt out of the ice. Intelligent kraken, but it like wants to read a book with you. So I think that's what's really cool about rogue planets is that there could be life underneath just this everywhere. Ice. Life I just, everywhere I think it's on cool, these rogue planets. It's cool thinking about the life under the ice that has just no idea that there's a universe and its world is in H2O. It's in water and it maybe is like Jar Jar Binks. Like it's living like yeah, but it's water pitch world. Black in there under there. It would be pitch black, but it might they be intelligent. Oh, oh wait, but they can see at night. Some creatures on Earth can see at night. Sure. Maybe it's maybe they're giant anglerfish, intelligent anglerfish. They see heat. Yeah, and they have a whole society, a primitive society. Bunch of anglerfish down there. Right. Exactly. Cool With their shit. own gods and stuff. Cool shit. Anyway, so that's rogue planets. That's tight. Hey, I'm gonna end with an honorable mention. Give us an honorable mention. Okay, honorable mention. I'm gonna go real fast on this one. It's called the space roar. Basically, although there's no sound in space, we can still see radio waves from sound. So we can still like measure the size of sound, even though we can't hear it. And basically out in space, coming from deep space, there is a huge roar of a sound. Whoa, whoa. I want to know more about this. Do you, do you want me to go and do the whole thing in it? No, do, do, a, do a little thing of the whole thing, but I want to know more about the roar. Okay, so basically NASA sent up an experiment to find old stars. Okay, they sent up this thing to, to find the radio waves coming from old stars. And actually they had to scrap the experiment because instead of finding the radio waves from old stars... They found this radio wave that was six times more powerful than anything they thought was coming out. And it's it, it's like a roar coming from deep in the universe. What the fuck is it? No one knows. Wait, wait, yeah, what? There you go. Wait, when did when did uh, they see this? I haven't... I didn't know about this Yeah, this is in 2006. So it's relatively recently? It's relatively recently. The space roar. It's called the space roar. Look, look, look into it. It's really sick. What are some theories about it? Some some theories are that it could be the merge the merging of galaxy clusters. So basically, like not just so when you look at the Milky Way, imagine like a a billion Milky Ways and then a billion Milky Ways hitting a billion a billion Milky Ways, and then that the sound from that explosion, or as we talked about earlier, it could be an antimatter boundary meeting with matter and the sound the sound from that. Um, many scientists, though most scientists. They think that it's a new phenomenon, and when we find the source, it'll be something new to science that we never knew about before. Like a, an intelligent like anglerfish? Like a humongous lion deep a in space A humongous lion roaring. made up of stars deep in a space. A humongous lion made up of stars. Okay, that's space roar. Really cool. Okay, so we're going to take another musical break, and after the musical break, is going to be time for Open Kimono. So think about your space mystery and what it could mean for the future oh, of humanity. About to open up like Kamada. saxophone Noah 
Yes. It is time for Open Kimono. This is the Open Kimono where we freely talk and we discuss our final thoughts on the open topic and leave nothing to the imagination. Open my kimono and show everyone what I got. Are open. No, what is your Open Kimono today? My, my Open Kimono is that I hope that one day when we meet our animator intelligent life cousins that we're able to trade, give them matter, and then they give us their antimatter, and it's just like a natural partnership, and then we become best friends. Best fucking friends. That's it. What's yours? BFFs? BFFs for life. Mine? There's yeah. so there's so much we don't understand about the universe and its basic fundamental laws. The universe is extremely complicated, and we don't know we Jack. know barely fucking anything on this little planet here. I think barely anything is more than we actually know. And that just makes you think about how much do we really know about what's going on in reality in our own little bubbles every day when you wake up in your own routines. Are you sure about what you know about the world or is the world just extremely complicated and you can always learn more things? I mean, it's just absolutely fucking mind-blowing all the time, Neo. isn't it? Neo. Neo. Shout out to Sarah and her boyfriend. Shout May they go to a neutron star. May they go to a rogue planet. May they go to neutron star. Experience rogue antimatter. May they merge with matter because they were always antimatter anyway. They didn't merge with Sarah, but they, they merged merge with the antimatter. <laughs> they didn't merge with Sarah, but they merged with the antimatter. Uh, shout out to the Kraken living in the rogue planet. Shout out to Adam's Carnivorous Plant Garden. That shout out to is, my Carnivorous you know, Plant Garden. He's, he's trying. He's trying. Guys. If you like the podcast, please go to iTunes and give us the five-star reviews, that kind of review. Not the four, the three, the five-star, because it really helps us. Give us the space roar. It makes us able to keep going with the podcast. So we're going to keep going through the Christmas break. Hanukkah break, really. But, you know, who's counting? Or what's the other one? Christmas to our amazing Christmas to our amazing brothers and sisters. Um, we will see you next time. See you next time, guys. We love you. 